All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Daner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic here with you. How are we doing, Jay? Doing well. Looking forward to that uh, kicking out of practice on, t- on Tuesday. Yep. It's that it's time of year. Time. It, is, it is that time of year. Really, the camp is wrapped. Camp, uh, as far as we know it, as far as the public knows it, uh, is all over. Ten practices, two of them scrimmages. We were able to go and watch, be your eyes and ears as much as we can. Uh, some from afar, some from closer, but either way, uh, we've kind of gotten a feel f- as much as you can in this year with no preseason games and really almost no tackling uh, for the 2020 Bengals. And uh, so we're going to do our best to kind of give you a real feel of what that looks like. And uh, so we're, we're going to give our – I mean, it's 10 practices, but can you do like a – like an award show on that? I mean, it's basically, I feel like we have to do an award show. Yeah, why not? Why not? We we, we spent a lot of time and hours uh, watching, so we, we can formulate our opinions. So we're going to do that. We've got our, uh, our superlatives of training camp now that it is kind of officially wrapped with Sunday scrimmage. We'll have some more thoughts on that scrimmage. Um, wanna, we are going to talk to Jeff Zriebeck, who covers the Baltimore Ravens for us at the Athletic for uh, uh, an inside look on what is happening with the division front runners right now. And you know, as we, we get closer to the season, um, it's time to start really kind of measuring up what the AFC North is going to look like. So we're going to start doing that today with that conversation with Jeff. Um, so a lot to get to. Let's let's start with Sunday night's scrimmage. Uh, primary takeaway, Jay. What do you think? Uh, offensive line still has some work to do. That um, there was a couple plays that they they didn't rule sacks that probably could have been. Um, it's good for it, it for evaluating Joe Burrow. It's not the greatest, or maybe it is because you need to see him make those plays on the run or attempt to make those plays on the run, as was the case last night. Um, Sam Hubbard was in the backfield the entire time. Andrew Brown continued to get in the backfield, get his hands on passes. He had the he had the batted ball at the line of scrimmage that ended up being an interception. Uh, Brady Shelton plucked it out of the air on a on a Ryan Finley pass. Um it just it, it, for for a, a scrimmage where you're not doing live tackling, uh that was the 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 best measurement of where things stand O line versus D line was that pass rush and and really the, the D line won that and the D line or the D won the entire scrimmage. Yeah, you know, this was not the first scrimmage of Joe Burrow just carving up the defense, which is, I mean, that's what that whole first scrimmage was all about, really. It was was a coming out party for Joe Burrow. He was slicing and dicing and dropping dimes and not missing passes, and he was phenomenal. That wasn't the case here as much. We ended up 58%-ish from the field, about 200 yards you know, about six yards per attempt. He And, you know, again... we don't. It, it, he even said it afterwards. Of it, the one thing he's concerned about is not getting hit, not being live yeah. at all. And uh, he would have gotten hit yesterday. There's <laughs> no doubt. Wearing, if he wasn't wearing that orange jersey, he'd have taken a few shots yesterday. Um, the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think 
you don't know. I mean, how much of that is, okay, excitement over the defensive line? How much of that is maybe they're just not very good in the trenches? I mean, we don't really know until you get out there and do it. But, yeah, I think that that sort of stood out to me as a concern. The other thing as a takeaway of Sunday's scrimmage was they are searching so hard at linebacker. They and they, I mean, they are rotating every breathing soul through every team on in the linebacker room. They're looking for a starter. They're looking to see who can come and help them. You know, I mean, first team, second team. Logan Wilson, the Keem Davis, Gaither, Marcus Bailey, Austin Calitro. Everybody had their shot to come and play essentially next to Jermaine Pratt. I mean, and. Jermaine Pratt played pretty well. I think you feel I've been pretty impressed with him throughout camp, and I thought he had a really nice day. The linebackers, the young linebackers as a whole, showed up a little bit on tape for the first time all camp. I mean, Logan Wilson had a knockdown. Akeem Davis Gaither had a couple of plays where you saw him. Um, and, and it's funny to say uh, one time his hand on the ball or one play, but we really I, – I wrote this whole story uh, as a rookie report and really taking a deep dive into every single pick plus Jonah Williams is up on The Athletic now. Um, I went through all my notes, all 10 practices, looking just for their numbers when I noted something they did. I – 55 – wasn't even on the, he wasn't even on there except for a couple times he got beat and you can say the same thing 59 they, they they've they've been not really noticeable one hard to do that when there's no tackling going on and it's not as live from that position you know but really they just had not been flashing so for them to do a little bit I thought was something but it's clear they don't feel like they have answers at that position right now yeah I mean old man Josh Bynes they they didn't even play him really in the scrimmage so they could do that so they could shuffle all these guys in and um you know you wrote it in your story Marcus Bailey has flashed the most of all those three guys all those three rookie draft picks but again most of that's been against the twos and the threes um he he got quite a few reps with the the ones last night and there weren't any real splash plays but just the way he carries himself uh I thought was impressive. He he was, you know, kind of leading that huddle, the defensive huddle. I saw one uh one situation where he went up and tapped Mike Daniels to move over a half gap because he was in the wrong spot. He just he really seems like he has a a command for things already. Um and you know, I, I said it when they drafted him. I've said it throughout. I, I think he could be the steal of this draft getting that guy in the seventh round the only knock keeping him from being you know probably a second day draft pick was was the the pair of knee injuries um he's completely healed from those there's always that that question of recurrence we we saw that with Rodney Anderson last year but it it feels like you know maybe not this year but down the road he could be the answer in there. You've got Josh Bynes on a one-year contract. He's going to be the, the leader in that room this year. Um, who knows if they would bring him back in 2021. A lot of that will depend on how these young guys do. And I just, I don't know, Marcus Bailey just really kind of stood out to me for those reasons last night. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if I was pl- if I was placing a bet on where this lands, I mean, you know, I mean, you're only having two linebackers out there at a time pretty much always now i mean with the way that they run with essentially this 
the, the what, we, what are we calling it? The funky three, four, whatever. I mean, where, but where it's not, this is, it's not, their base is not going to have three of those linebackers. You're using your Carl, your Carl Lawson's and your Carlos Dunlap's as, as edge guys. So these guys are kind of moving to the middle a little bit. Um, so Pratt will always is your three down guy. So binds on early downs. Really, to me, it's just that question of who will be that cover guy on late downs. And really, probably, uh, you know, that probably equals about 40, 50 percent of the snaps. And you can rotate for guys you think have certain strengths, maybe, you know, whatever it is, maybe if it's different packages, who knows how, how you would break it down. But I, I think Logan Wilson, I mean, by draft status and by ability to cover probably will be that guy. I mean, that that would be probably my best guess. But I but I think what we learned for sure is that they don't know that. <laughs> they don't have clarity on that. Maybe they maybe they feel like they do today as we sit here on Monday morning after going over the tape on Sunday, but they clearly didn't before that or we would have seen more of one single guy getting those reps so they can get that guy ready for the opener. But I don't think they feel like they have that right now. Uh, anything, what, what else stuck out to you? Any, anybody in particular? Um, you know, I, I thought William Jackson played well again. Um, mm-hmm. he had a couple of, of nice pass breakups. He had the stop. Um, it was fourth and goal from the 10. The, the defense was leading 15 to 13. The entire scrimmage came down to one play. The Bengals blitzed. Lou Anaruma blitzed Joe Burrow, forced him to check it down to Jacquez Patrick, and uh, Will came up. And who knows if it was live tackling? Maybe does Will Jackson make that <laughs> tackle live? Uh, yeah. I, that is a real question. <laughs> but in a scrimmage, he got two hands on him and and stopped him at the five. So, uh, but it wasn't just that play. He 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 continued to to uh, break up passes. And now again, that's it's a situation where no John Ross, no AJ Green. Um, no Auden Tate last night. Uh, it was he. He was going against you know second level guys for the most part. But he has not just in the scrimmage, but throughout camp the last week or the, well, the two weeks that we've been able to see, um, he has looked more like that guy from 2017 than than the guy that struggled last year. Yeah. I, another thing that stood out to me, and something that Zach Taylor addressed um, afterwards was I think he's kind of sick of being worried about guys getting hurt. That list is long. The the amount of people standing on the side is extensive, was extensive last night. Uh, A couple of notes on that. One, Trey Waynes, first time we've seen him ever in person. (laughs) Uh, He showed up. um, You know, there's been, I wrote a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago uh, about, when will Trey Wayne's return? What will be the Bengals? Do, do they want to bring him back in the building and be part of everything? Well, there he was. Um, he was the first time we'd seen him. He had his arm in a sling. Uh, Joe Mixon was in the building. Joe is in the building, which, by the way, stadium atmosphere, not great for guy with migraines last night. Blaring that that ambient crowd noise stuff blaring it plus then the pregame the music was going nuts all in the bowl i mean it, you couldn't we we were sitting our you know it's probably 10 feet apart in the stands i mean jay and i couldn't talk to each other in an empty stadium 10 feet apart it was so loud um you know to trying to test that whatever that crowd noise is going to be but besides the point uh mixon was there in the building first time we've seen him since 
last Monday, uh, which was when he was out on the side. But he hasn't participated in a week with reported migraines. If you want more on that, we dove into that in the growler last week, um, that situation, which basically has not changed since that rant. So um, – Another, a but, positive sign in that regard, not just the fact that he was there, but he did do a little bit of light uh, rehab work over on the side with with Jordan Evans and Sean Williams, Carl Lawson. Um, and then while the Bengals were doing uh, some special team stuff, he was he was going hard running sprints with Jordan Evans. So it's you never know. I mean, migraines can be great one day and, and not so great the next day. But just the fact that he was out there in that atmosphere with the loud noise and running pretty hard, I mean, that's a good sign that that just the fact that he was was there, uh, he was engaged. At one point, he was out on the field with, with Zach Taylor kind of looking over the play sheet, and I kind of joked with Zach, it looked like Joe was trying to make some calls. Um, so that's good to see. He's not he, – whatever is going on contract-wise, he, he's not brooding <clears> – <throat> in terms of his interaction with the team. And um, I, I just think they wanted that to be like their third preseason game. And that that's why Trey Waynes was there. There was no reason for him to be there, but if it were a, if it were an actual preseason game, you would see those guys on the sideline, everybody there together. And I, I think that's why we saw Joe and, you know, Carlos Dunlap had no chance of playing. He's, he's been out all week. All, all those guys that were hurt were there when they didn't, there was no reason for him to be there. AJ Green also not participating, um, and I, I don't. We won't. He's not. He mentioned to us last week that he wanted to get some snaps in one of the two scrimmages. Uh, well, Thursday not going to be a scrimmage anymore. They're basically scaling that back to a mock game, which is essentially just a run through of a game in the stadium to get everybody prepared for what a game day run through is going to be like, dress rehearsal type thing, but without really doing much. Now that's what they're. I mean, that could be what they're just telling us. Who knows? But I, I, I think that's going to be the case. My point on that being, I think we've seen them scale back what they wanted to do. Uh, they didn't do any live tackling, and that seemed like a, a a conscious decision to go against what their original plan was because there's just a lot of guys hurt. They already have the short numbers with the eighty, um, and there's a lot of guys hurt. And Zach sort of said, look, I just have full focus on just trying to get everybody to that opener right now and couldn't really afford to come out here and lose another guy. Um, Side note, uh, Derwin James on the opposing team in the opener for the Chargers, one of the best safeties in the league, will not participate. He hurt his meniscus in whatever their practice was. Uh, So... Um, that's the type of thing that Zach Taylor wanted to avoid. So you just scale it all back, forget the, any live type stuff. Maybe you, you lose something in evaluation, particularly of running backs and linebackers, but you gain not getting anybody else hurt. That stuck out to me. I thought that was different than I think the plan was. And it shows, I think that the injury stuff is just starting to get to him. And he just sort of said, let's, that's enough, uh, of this whole physicality thing. Um, Good or bad. I, I I go back to conversation back in, you know, the early, early portion of the offseason, pre pre-pandemic, where he talked about wanting to have a more physical camp. And I think that was ideal in a regular world that doesn't look like 2020. Um, but everything being different the way it was, um, you know, I think that just sort of got tossed to the side. We'll see how that plays out once it comes time for the opener. I just want to take a quick break here to remind you, fantasy football draft season is upon us. 
due to quarantine, it's very possible that you might have Zeke's haircut in your pants. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure you don't gamble on shaving the same way you like to gamble on football. When it comes to men's hygiene, Manscaped is as good and safe as Christian McCaffrey in a PPR league. Look, the Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man because of ceramic blade, skin-safe technology. Your nicks and snags will be reduced. It's the perfect protection needed for your franchise quarterback. Their perfect package 3.0 comes with a new and improved lawnmower, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use. We're done quarantining some other liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver. For a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which is $39 value add, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So you get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20. It's time to boost your hygiene with absolute besties with Manscaped. Let's go to some of our training camp superlatives. Obviously, the scrimmages are going to be weighted more than the other practices, but we're going to tie the all 10 open sessions um, in together to sort of put these awards together here for you. Um, I'll start with this one. MVP, who's your MVP, Jay? Uh, I think you have to go Joe Burrow. There's is there any a, and, other answer? Right. I mean, <laughs> number one overall pick, quarterback, that, that was going to be the case probably no matter what. But he has really been impressive. You know, last night, notwithstanding, he it was a little bit of a rough showing. But when you look at his body of work throughout the two scrimmages and all these other practices, it's just – it's. It's not like he's going out there and playing like an all pro, but he is so far above where you would expect a rookie quarterback to be in a season with no off season um, or in a camp with no off season. Um, it's just that's that's the easiest pick on this entire list of superlatives we're going to have. Two things about that. One, the way it's not just the offense running the offense checks at the line it's the tempo of the offense i mean he's out there at the line moving quick quick strikes no huddle you name it and working everything at the line i mean that is is, is, the dude's just started doing stuff in person i mean i think you're seeing the benefits of all the zooms of the clear mental understanding of everything to do and go through i mean he's been doing those some from his parents basement uh for a long time but, you know, the tempo of it and that all certainly stands out. And we don't know. We're not in. We don't know how many of those checks or calls or whatever are exactly the getting into the perfect play or protections or whatever. It looks right. And they're saying all the nice things about that. So and they're letting him do it. So I, all of that sort of to me says, man, this guy really has the mastery of it, that they're letting him go this far with it. Um, and I think maybe teams they play would be surprised when that happens. Um, but the other side of it is just, I don't know, it stood out to me. What happened Saturday where the team did their march to the Freedom Center and gave their statement uh, there, which is much bigger than football. And this, and this, we're giving a, I'm going to give you a football angle of something that's far more important than that. And I hope that people understand um, that. 
But the fact that so, so Trey Hopkins writes this statement, which by the way is awesome. He wrote the he said Trey Hopkins writes the whole thing. He reads his entire team, many of which he just met for the first time less than a month ago, asked the rookie to go up there and give and read part of this statement for to have the most impact. Think about that. I mean, to ask a rookie, a, 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 a rookie, to go up there and be the face and voice of this team in this moment that clearly was very important to them. It shows the respect he had coming in and the respect he has gained since then and the way he's viewed immediately as a leader of this team. That, to me, more than anything anybody has said, more than anything anybody has predicted, said all you need to know about the off-field Joe Burrow to this point. That said it. The fact that his teammates wanted him to go do that. They wanted him to be their face. Tells you all you need to know about trust level and where they view him. And one step beyond that, it wasn't the the team said, hey, we want you to do this. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, he he had to check with Trey Hopkins first. He didn't want to step. He, he didn't, Trey wrote the speech and he didn't want to you know, steal his thunder, so to speak. And he, he wanted to check with Trey first and see if he was okay with doing half of that. It's just, you know, everything about him has been so impressive off the field. Um, or even, you know, like you mentioned the huddle at the line of scrimmage, what he does there, uh, this situation, um, the way he conducts himself in the, in the zoom interviews, um, it's just, it's hard not to be impressed with that guy. And he, he, he talked about how much, we're talking about what that says about him and, and for the team to pick him to do that at the Freedom Center. And and he said how much that meant to him that they did that. And it, he said he it really made him feel at home. And it, it's a big deal because not just what they think of Joe Burrow, but you think about this, that a team goes two and 14, drafts a quarterback number one overall, and they say, we're going to stick the rookie in there. You, you have, there's this feeling that, okay, this entire season is basically like a preseason for the next season and and what he's done and, and the way he's carried himself. I don't think anyone on this team believes this. I, I think this team has the feeling that that this can be a a strong competitive year because of what they've seen from Joe Burrow. And I just think that's something that you you don't get. It, it's becoming more and more common for, for teams to throw a rookie quarterback in there right after taking him. Um but it, it, this just has a totally different feel because of who Joe Burrow is as a player and who he is as a person. I'll say this. I mean, I think to piggyback on this, what started this, there's there's another element of that, something you just mentioned, a 2-14 and 14 team and a lot of people that have said things about the Bengals organizationally and is – so the, the Bengals obviously had this week talked about Carlos Dunlap last week saying, I want a meeting with Mike Brown and, and the Bengals spent a couple of days in these long talks as we've seen a lot of teams across the league about what they can do for a plan of action to help make effect change, make change whether in, in police brutality, systemic racism, whatever, you know, all of these things that they're talking about. And Mike Brown and the family went down 
and ha- were part of this conversation that they had, I guess, on on Saturday morning. And that led to this statement and walk and everything. And it affected people. The amount of players that I saw on social media tweeting pride in being a Bengal, people that had never said that and that they're new or maybe they just have never really kind of been outwardly like that, I found very interesting, you know? And then, and, and you know who else did? Joe Burrow. Really proud to be part of this organization, right? Was was what Joe Burrow tweeted, and we, you know, he doesn't tweet often. When he does, it's impactful. It's it says something, right? It's and it's usually right on the money. He said that teammates following his lead. Imagine that pride in being a Bengal, saying great things about ownership, united front. I mean. To me, that is <laughs> hard to pull off when you went two and fourteen last year, and everybody's <laughs> kind of screaming and complaining. And I, that, to me, uh, I think means a lot too. And I, and that's not you know I'm not inside the that building. You know, I don't know know how much of that Joe Burrow has to do with, um, but that that theme coming out of all of this, I think is a. Uh, but I think it's a big deal. I do. Yeah, I agree because it, you know, these, there's a lot of the players that have, have been in the locker room for a number of years to see the way this organization is run. And it does get criticized from the outside with the way they operate. And these guys, they have pretty good bullshit detectors. And if, if they thought Mike and Katie were going to the Freedom Center with them just to kind of check a box and make an appearance, I don't think you would have seen that as strong of an outpouring on social media with, with all the, the, the pride talk and all that. They, I, I think this was, was really genuine and it, it was a, a huge step in not that it was fractured, but just in, in, in solidify and unifying the entire franchise. Um, a lot of, a lot of teams have, have been more in the forefront in terms of speaking out on racial injustice. The Bengals were one of the last to the table to do that. But, but th- what happened Friday really felt like, or Saturday um, really felt like it, it made up for some lost ground and, and kind of just repaired some of the, some of that stuff and it helps them move forward now unified, like you said, and, and having Joe right at the front of that pack. Um, I, I do think that that wasn't just a, it, well, it wasn't a publicity stunt because the media weren't invited. It was it was a a team exercise that I think is going to have legs throughout this season. It's been hard for these guys to get to know each other too as players mm-hmm. uh, without being together in the off season and everything else going. I mean, they're in four separate locker rooms. It's, just, it, it's it's been hard. I sort of you know we're we're in Cincinnati, so I can talk about uh, Catholic high school stuff. Uh, <laughs> this reminds me of when like it, you're in your, if you go into a Catholic high school, uh, you, you went on like Kairos, you did like a, like a four day retreat 
and you 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 know people pass you, you like pass the candle around everyone tells their story and then hugs and so it's like it, it, you get to know people that you didn't really know and it's this bond and then you come back and you're like ah live the fourth right like, it's like this whole everybody love everybody you know this is this whole thing i feel like there's a there's almost like a retreat element to all of this that beyond the bigger purpose that they're all working towards is a thing that can bring people together and maybe that's part of this too that's my catholic high school moment hugging people you don't know sounds horrifying i've never (laughs) been more glad that i went to public school no you do know them now though jay that's the point you're breaking down barriers so you're comfortable to hug people that you now feel connected to yeah let's just peace love peace love dope okay (laughs) all right Let's that was okay. So what that was MVP. We need to be faster with these categories. Yeah, so we're learning. <laughs> but that was a big topic. Like that was there was a lot. There was a lot to Joe Burrow's overall on and off field impact that and it's fairly defining with this team this season. So we'll, we'll run through the other ones faster. Uh, rookie of the year obviously uh, would go to Burrow. So let's go non Burrow division um, of the other guys. And I'm not going to count Jonah Williams, even though I included him in our rookie report story. Uh, who do you who would be your rookie of the year non-bro? Okay, this is more of an award by default, just because the the linebackers haven't really shown much. Uh, T. Higgins, the second round pick, has been hurt for a lot of camp, and he hasn't. He's had one splash play when he was in there, but it, he hasn't been all that impressive either. And then the fifth round pick, uh, Caleb Kareem, and the seventh round pick, or um, it has. Caleb Cream has has been hurt as well with T Higgins. So I want Hakeem Adenogy, um, the the tackle from Kansas. He's he's not been just mauling people on that offensive line, but he ha- he hasn't shown up in a bad way either, where he's just getting pushed around and you're you're thinking, oh, this is a wasted draft pick. And and they've used him at guard, they've used him at tackle. And when you've got an offensive line in the state this one is in, having a finding a a guy in the sixth round that you can count on for, for quality depth at two of those spots um, that that that's a fairly big deal. And you have to figure he's only going to get better from, from moving out of camp. So I, again, it's, it's more of an award by default, but I I think he was a pretty clear choice. Yeah, I had him too. And you know, I, you're right. I think default is a key is the key word there. Really T Higgins, Khalid Kareem, uh, you really, they really were set back by injury. Higgins in particular. I mean, he, he just has not been able to get enough reps in there. And I think inevitably it probably will cost him, uh, you know, being kind of that third receiver opposite AJ and Tyler Boyd. I, I think it, that and the rise of Auden Tate, right? I mean, it opened the door for Auden Tate to go create this great connection with Joe Burrow. I mean, to the point that they didn't feel like they even needed Auden Tate to go play. Uh, on Sundays, like, let's see the other guys. Um, and so, you know, I, Higgins, I think will earn that. I think with time, I'm sure they'll create sub packages and plays for him and get him some snaps, but, uh, yeah, injury has really set them back, you know, in small sample size. I I like what I've seen from Clid cream and, and even from T Higgins, who I think is just trying to figure it out mentally a little bit more. Um, I'm with you. Uh, I I think Adenogy is is really um, 
the guy who gives you the most optimism, who probably has been the best of, of, of all the draft picks, is if you're looking at consistency, versatility, all those things that you want to see. I, I don't know if he's going to be a guy who's a real player this year for them or other than, anything other than an uh, insurance policy, but you know we shall see. Uh, defensive player of the year. It's like I have a couple guys in my head on this one. Who who do you have? I'm picking between two. I'm curious where you go. Well, I think Carlos was the the front runner until this week when he went out with the injury. Um, I think Will Jackson is in the running, but I'm going Sam Hubbard. I mean, he's just been he's been in the backfield on seemingly every play, and and you know you've written about this. He he is a guy that does everything right. That that this team. They want the the roster to to model the way that Sam carries himself on the field and off. Uh, I think we're going to see him named a captain before the, the regular season, and you know he, he's just he's done everything right in camp so far, and hasn't hasn't had an interception anything like that. But he he has batted some balls, and he's. If they, if you were tracking sacks, uh, for, you know, when a guy breaks through, he would be the guy that, that would be the team leader right now. And a lot of them coming off that, the, the, the left side going against Bobby Hart or Fred Johnson, whoever's over there at that, at that time. Um, he, it, it, as good as he's been, that's not an indictment on Jonah Williams, but, um, I, that's who I'll go. I'll go Hubbard. Yeah. Those, I have Hubbard and William Jackson the third. And I, I, I think, um, I went William Jackson. I just think he has been sh- showing the urgency in his play, getting his hands on the football more often. And, you know, we talk so much about him needing to be better reacting to the ball in the air and making plays on the football. Um, you know, that needs to lead to interceptions eventually. But really, as much as he's just been all over, guys, and he's been able to knock passes down. And in a room that has been kind of a mess. He has been a real stabilizing force because they have him on the one side playing really well. I'm with you. Hubbard has been, he looks like, okay, maybe take, maybe next step for Sam Hubbard, a one that a lot of people, a lot of evaluators, when, when if looking at him in the draft said, I don't think he has that next step in him. Well, he looks like he could be taking it. And that's good. That's great for him. But William Jackson is showing contract to your urgency, baby. Nothing brings it out of you. Nothing brings out of you than that cash, that carrot, just hanging right in front of you. And he looks like he's ready to go. So I will. I will give it to WJ three. But I'm with you. I think Hubbard too. Uh, offensive player camp. Uh, Tyler Boyd. He's just been really, really impressive. Um, not surprisingly, based on what he's done the last few years, but but to to develop that connection with with Joe Burrow so quickly, um, and, and you you haven't had AJ Green out there, you haven't had T Higgins, uh, haven't had John Ross for a good portion of the camp. It's it's not like there've been other run, other receivers that could could kind of upstage him. And you can't judge running backs; they're not tackling. Um, I, I thought Boyd was a, a fairly easy pick here. Um, for offensive player of the year, you know it would be Burrow. But if we're going to give Burrow the MVP, then you got to give someone else the offensive player of the year. And I'll go Boyd. I've Auden Tate. You know, I I agree. Boyd was just so dominant early, and it seemed like at that point Burrow was kind of like, okay, I got that guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I've got that chemistry down. Let's look elsewhere. And then and then we've just seen Tate become just you know great. I mean, as far as in these practices. He's just been the guy. And um, 
I think that's fairly telling. So I, I, I'm giving it to him. But yeah, kind of interesting that two receivers uh, end up in that conversation in a camp where we so much talked about injuries to receivers to the top of the room. So, um, you know, good to see that depth, which is something that I don't know that they necessarily had a year ago. All right, most improved. Who do you have for most improved? Um, I, I had Will Jackson right there, but it's, you know, he was kind of up then down. Now he's coming back up again. So I, I went with someone who's more on a straight incline. I went Andrew Brown. Um, we've talked about him a little bit already. It's it just, it was interesting that how in the, the post scrimmage zoom, um, someone might've been you asked, asked Lou about Andrew Brown. Yeah. And he really kind of, I don't know, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't was as not effusive. a ring endorsement. No. no, it was not. And it's like, that's, I don't know if, if he's just trying not to say too much. Uh, maybe they're trying to sneak him through the practice squad. Who knows? But he, he has been noticeably involved and getting quality first team reps at time. Um, when, when they go with that five man front, uh, I, yeah, I just, He's had sacks, he's had passes bad, and he's done everything you want a guy in that position to do. And he is a guy, he's he's more inside now, but in a pinch, he could step out and rush off the edge for you as well. Well, and they need, I mean, they need somebody like that who's kind of can step in and basically play three technique as a Geno backup. I mean, they don't, Daniels and Reader are are not that. Um you know, and there's other guys they could maybe do that with, but I mean, Brown was the perfect guy to step in there behind Gino. I was taken back by that from Anna Rumo too. You might be onto something. Maybe they are either either we don't have eyes about football, which is very possible, I guess, or <laughs> there there's something to that that it's uh let's not let anybody know that this guy has been doing this in case we need to try to sneak him onto a squad at some point because. I, I just keep seeing the dude make plays like he, but the other thing is it's not like he's been rotated in with the starters hardly at all either. So maybe, maybe, maybe there's other stuff going on there. I don't, I don't know. I, I hear you on that. I have drew sample. I think he has been more involved. He has looked really almost dynamic in the passing game. I don't know if that's too strong a word maybe, but he's got really nice hands. He's, he's been great catching the ball He's he's been physical uh, blocking, you know, maybe it's the garage. I don't know. But I mean, it was a nice camp for Drew Sample, even getting regular shout outs uh, from Zach Taylor and some of the coaching staff who called the tight end room the best his possession best position group basically or i don't remember what the question was exactly but something that effect. Well, why would that be? I mean, you already knew who CJ Uzama was It's because sample. Because the elevation is sample. And Seathan Carter is a great special teams player and a lot of guys that do the right things. And, um, you know, I, I think I have him for most improved. Uh, yeah. Comeback player. What are you down there? Comeback player. Um, I have Jonah Williams uh, because he missed all of last year and I think. He has come back strong. He might, I mean, like, I already kind of feel like he's the stabilizing force and he hasn't played a game yet. He feels like the one thing that you kind of can count on a little bit. Um, that's probably a scary thought. It would be if I was wearing number nine on my back. But um, to me, I, 
I, I think he's been fantastic. He looks really good. We'll learn so much about him those first two weeks. Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett, back to back, two highest paid edges in the game. Uh, but I feel like you know he has clearly positioned himself to come in and be an instant impact guy at left tackle. Yeah, just just the whole even take away how he's performed, but just the fact that you you have a a, a rookie first round pick that loses his entire first season and then to come back and and be the guy that that he is right now and it's you know he's he hasn't been perfect he's given up some sacks but when you're going against Carl Lawson and Carlos Dunlap and Sam Hubbard over and over you're gonna lose some of those battles so I agree I I think he's a he's a a solid choice there for comeback player I don't even know who my close second would be in that case um yeah let's let's just call Jonah unanimous yeah uh disappointment uh, the other side of the offensive line, I'm going Fred Johnson. I really thought this was going to be an open competition that he had a legitimate chance to win and unseat Bobby Hart. Hasn't played out that way at all. Um, I mean, Fred got one day with first team reps when when Bobby sat out with what Zach called a minor injury, uh, and he was back the very next practice. Um, so I, I'm going to go Fred. Not just not just the fact that he hasn't earned any any first team reps, but he hasn't looked good against second team pass rushers. No. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly in that mix. I kind of go a different route and maybe a little out of uh, the control of a team on the field. And that's AJ green injury. I mean, that happening again. And, you know, we kind of have been asking, we I asked Joe Burrow last night about concern about not having any real, real reps with AJ Green having to go until you go into that opener and he kind of played it off as, you know, individual routes. You can really learn it pretty quickly with a guy like that. And, and maybe that's the case. I mean, AJ Green still has to go out there and like get some sort of football shape in him before he goes and plays. I mean, how many, how many plays can AJ Green go out and do in the opener? If he's hardly even done work on the side, he's doing slow motion individual stuff. Maybe he can really ramp it up over the next two weeks. Do you expect AJ Green to go play 65 plays? In two weeks, where when he was coming off a bad hamstring, I mean, I just don't, I just don't, and that's fine. You can, they have enough weapons; they can do rotational stuff there. But you would really prefer to have your one A receiver out there for most plays uh, in your rookie debut. But you know, this injury and the latest of injury stuff to be concerned about with him is. You know, it's disappointing. That's all. And if we're talking about big disappointment, you know, that's that's what that is for me, whether it's been precautionary or just making sure that they get him healthy to the opener or whatever. It just it's 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 been disappointing. Yeah. Joe Burrow talking about itching to get some hits. I mean, he just took some licks in January. How long has it been since A.J. Green has actually taken a tackle? I mean, not just getting in football shape you know, as far as cardio, that type of thing. But I think there's going to be a lot of people holding their breaths every time he goes over the middle or goes up and and, and for a ball and and takes a shot. Um, The injury history and and the fact that he, it's not like they were going to hit him in practice, but just the fact that he hasn't been out there to, to at least jostle for balls and, 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 you know, battle with cornerbacks. um, This it's, it's, it's going to be a little uneasy for the first couple games, wondering how he's going to, how he's going to deal with that uh best position group you know i had tight ends right there but 
it, it was it it wasn't all the way through. I mean, you get down to number three and Seathan Carter, and he he might lead the team in drops from what we've seen in <laughs> practice, and he doesn't get a lot of targets. Um, I, I went wide receivers just because with AJ out, with John Ross out for a good chunk, with T Higgins miss, those other guys stepped up and made plays. Stanley Morgan had an incredible catch in that in that scrimmage last night. It was a one-handed catch along the sideline where he he got he got both feet down. Um, he's looked good at times. Michael Tom- Mike Thomas has stepped up and played. You already mentioned Auden Tate. Um, they they've got a a they are really deep at wide receiver, and just the fact that that is primarily what they needed. Joe Burrow to do in this camp was to to get get rhythm with receivers and and, and be able to have confidence that guys are going to be where they're supposed to be and, and let him work on these throws and these routes and to have all those um you know second string third string guys step up and and keep the practices running keep the offense going smoothly uh, I I think that that's a pretty I, I couldn't even think of a besides tight ends another position group that I would even consider there you're yeah, I agree. Prove yeah, me wrong. I, okay, good. No, I agree. I mean, I I, t- I have tight ends kind of in there too. Um, I, I agree. I think everything you just said about that is is exactly what that conversation is right now. I mean, and it takes you to worst position group, and I think there's some that you could debate between. Um, you know, I would say cornerback, but I think when you throw William Jackson being really good in the mix, uh, it takes them off. And, you know, they've had a lot of injury and other stuff obviously going on there um, with Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes being hurt and Darius Phillips being hurt now. I mean, we're uh, Tony Brown and, and Torrey McTire are out here getting serious snaps with where they're at in that room right now. Um, you know, there's, there's some other positions that you can talk about. I, it's, you know, offensive line to me is still the concern. It's been the concern. It continues to be. Uh, you know, you're still seeing inconsistency, um, particularly on that right side. And, you know, I just, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a broken record. Everybody knows it. Um, it. It all comes down to them. And I just, I just, it's hard to know when you're talking about training camp and, you know, guys pull up instead of going after the quarterback hard or going after the tackle for loss hard you know they it, it's hard to know for sure but you know it's it's what we thought it would look like it's 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 far from perfect yeah i i had them in the consideration but with the way jonah's played my michael jordan has looked pretty pretty good and and he is so much bigger this year i was looking at the he was standing next to jonah on the sideline at one point yesterday yesterday or last night in the scrimmage and he he makes jonah williams look like an average size guy i mean it, it's crazy how big michael jordan is when when you see him and compared to, to a guy like jonah i i end up going linebackers just because that was like offensive line those were the two big question marks coming in linebacker was the position they they chose to address with drafting those three guys and signing josh Bynes. and there's just all the shuffling, um, no splash plays, a lot of negative plays. Um, I, I just, I, I, I thought the linebackers were a little more, I don't know, worse, disappointing. However, we're gonna, we're whatever we're gonna call this category. I, I gave them a slight edge over that offensive line, or under, as the case might be. And you know what? I go back to a few years ago. 
I saw Mike Nugent have the greatest camp I've ever seen a kicker have, and he got cut like six weeks into the season. It was terrible. Like sometimes guys just have bad camps and then they have great seasons or vice versa. Um, you, it, you never know, but when there's no preseason games, it's harder to judge. We want to try to give you guys a real feel from sort of what we saw out there on the field and, um, and, and what this team will look like. Inevitably, who knows what it will look like when the season's that's the fun of the season. And that's why the opener is one of my favorite days all year because everybody's been trying to hide everything and trying to save their ideas and their grand plans until they have to put them out there. And September 13th against the Chargers, they have to put it out there. And uh, I look forward to seeing what that looks like because um, until then, we're all just kind of judging fake football. Uh, and that's no fun. Anyway, uh, Let's take with that. With that being said, this is a good chance for us to take a peek around the AFC North, uh, and that means having a conversation with our writer Jeff Zrebeck, who covers the Ravens for us, does an incredible job with that team, which is consensus favorite to win the North. And uh, you know, one the Bengals are kind of trying to design themselves to chase down at some point. So, all right, uh, before we move on, though, here Jay, let's hear from one of today's partners. All right, now going to kick off our uh, series, kind of looking at the other teams in the AFC North. You know, I guess got to start at the top, right? Uh, and that means going to Baltimore. Uh, our colleague Jeff Zuribeck is here. Jeff, what's going on? Hey, man, how you doing? Good talking to you. Yeah, good to, good to be here. I mean, uh, you know, congratulations on Lamar Jackson uh, getting, getting to cover that show. Hey, I got to cover it. Twice last year, and, and I keep seeing the highlights of those games over and over and over again, including the spin move uh, heard around the world in Cincinnati. I mean, it really, I guess you have to start there when talking about where Baltimore's at. I mean, has it just been more of the same from Lamar Jackson? What's, what's different about the Lamar Jackson, this story, after his insane breakout last year? Yeah, you know, it's interesting at, the, at this time last year and last year's training camp, like we were like scrutinizing like every throw, you know, he was, you know, he led him the playoffs when he was inserted as a rookie, but there's still so much about him that we didn't know if it was legit and how it would sort of translate. Um, and then he goes out and does what he uh, did last year and it's almost like this year it's just like okay yeah that's Lamar Jackson you know um, but uh, overall you know I think it's been kind of a quiet uh, you know which they have no problem with he, he's dealt with a little groin injury that's uh, forced him you know that slowed him up maybe a little bit but he should be fine um, one thing you know that's very obvious that he's working on is, is the deep ball and, and the throws outside the numbers those are the things the Ravens need to get better at need to be more consistent um they've really made it a priority to kind of challenge defenses in different aspects of the field and, and you know pose a threat in, in different parts of the field and uh you know there were times last year where you know kind of there was no real deep ball really wasn't even a 
you know, you know, in their arsenal. They, it was not, it's not something they could kind of call on. And there's going to be times where, you know, teams get a beat on the run game a little bit. And we've seen it in some key spots in the playoffs. And the Ravens hasn't responded. Um, and they need to find ways to, uh, you know, be a little more dangerous in other areas. And, and Jackson's uh, focus uh, this summer has, has mostly been on that, you know, kind of those, those deeper throws, the outside the numbers stuff. And, and he's looked fine. It's, it's, I, I, it's hard to say, you know, for unanimous MVP that it's been an uneventful summer, but that's probably how I describe it. He looked really good early, tapered off a little, and, and now he's just looked solid. You know, he's nothing really has, has really jumped out, but he seems obviously to be, a, you know, one more year in the offense and a little more comfortable. I mean, I, it seems like them, it wasn't just Lamar, although he was clearly the catalyst, but the style of offense sort of took the world by storm last year. I mean, how much have coaches there talked about the adjustments that they expect the league to be making to what they were doing and what Lamar was doing? And is that part of, I guess, the evolution of where things have to go next in Baltimore? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's not just, they're a very hard team to prepare for. And even if you had a beat on what they're doing, you still had to stop, uh, you know, him, a kind of a punishing offensive line, you know, and, and a versatile guy like Ingram. They had, they had three really good tight ends that each had a, that a big role. So you could have a good idea of how they're going to attack you. And it was just very hard to stop, but I think they go, they know going forward, um, you know, teams have had all off season to study, um, you know, what they're doing. Teams have had off season to add defensive players that give them a better chance to stop what the Ravens are doing. Um, and, you know, it's still going to be challenging for those teams, but they understand they're going to need to evolve a little offensively and they're not going to be able to rely on just running the ball every time. There's going to be games where, um, you know, they, their running game is slowed down a little bit. And we also, you know, yeah, under retired that's a big loss for the interior of their offensive line so a running may not come as easy this year and they need to find other ways to kind of attack teams and uh, I, I think they've talked a lot about it um it's the old fine line between staying with what works and yet trying to stay ahead of the competition so we'll see how they manage to do that but it's definitely been a focus try to present uh present a couple more dimensions offensively I mean, what is the if there's a you know a team that has the season that Baltimore did last year? I mean, is there a weakness that you see on this team that is going to be the biggest thing that they're going to have to overcome? What is that right now? Yeah, I, you know what I think. I think there's some questions on the offensive line. You know, the, the yeah they their tack their young pair of tackles are probably uh, as good as anybody has um you know and then you know bozeman's played all start all 16 games last year as guard so he's certainly a solid option there but there's some uncertainty at center um you know and there's some uncertainty at right guard after yonder retired uh, their their offensive line overachieved last year in a big way um what we don't know is how much how integral yonder was how much did he lift the game of the other two guys uh, around him and and what will be kind of the loss of a guy that you know will be get, get hall of fame consideration um so i, I think 
that still has to sort itself out. You know, I was just coming off the practice field and you see more offensive line alignments from them as the days go on. And here we are, you know, less than two, you know, basically less than two weeks out from the opener and they still haven't settled on that. So for a team that does so much running and, and is also going to protect uh, uh, an MVP quarterback, it is a little bit of a concern that they, they haven't, there's no one that's really seized those two interior offensive line spots. So, so that's definitely uh, an area I think where the Ravens have some questions to answer. Yeah, and like you know, uh, safeties punching each other and stuff, which is <laughs> not, but but that's no longer an issue anymore. I, I, that was that something that you, I mean that the Earl Thomas situation that came to a head and he was you know shipped off. I mean that's uh, something you you guys saw coming. What what is the the what is the kind of rip the biggest ripple effect for this season from that? Yeah, you know, no, I mean look. It was pretty clear last year that this Earl Thomas, uh, you know, transition to the Ravens after he played so long in Seattle, there were some definitely some trying moments, you know, um, he, he had said to me, you know, but challenged Brandon Williams, a Pro Bowl nose tackle, who's been kind of a longtime leader of this team for not playing. He, you know, he wasn't exactly, you could tell he wasn't very close with a lot of people. You could tell Thomas kind of came and went as he pleased at times. But you know what? They were 14 and 2. And as the season went on, he started playing better and better. So you saw how they were managing it. And you thought they could probably manage it at least another year. You know, you have a really good roster. Most people predicting them, you know, to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender, but uh, he was kind of even things were even worse with him this summer, you know, between missing meetings, fighting teammates, uh, just not really caring about any of the team elements, and, uh, you know, it just the the punch kind of punching his fellow safety was kind of the you know, the proverbial straw that broke Cal's back because uh, evidence was mounting throughout the summer that it was going to be very hard for them to make this arrangement uh, work much longer. So, you know, they definitely have to figure it out. I, I don't think, uh, you know, Earl Thomas obviously wasn't the Earl Thomas of old, but he was still a very good NFL safety. And just his presence on the field seemed to, you know, deter some quarterbacks because very few quarterbacks challenged him last year. And his coverage stats were very good. Good. So, uh, Deshaun Elliott, there, he's a third-year player uh, from Texas. Who he's going to be inserted as a starter, but he's barely played the first two years because of injury. So that, that's definitely a thing. But why I don't think that's as big of a deal as people think is just because they're loaded in the secondary. You know, they're loaded at cornerback. They have Jimmy Smith, a guy who's going to play some safety now, who used to be their top cornerback, is now their fourth cornerback. So uh, they have, and, and their defensive coordinator likes to mix it up and, and mix and match. So I think there's a way they could kind of limit the impact of that a little bit, but no doubt. I mean, you're getting rid of a, a, a probably a Hall of Famer, and uh, that, that's going to leave a mark. Well, you know, it's funny. You you talk about well, what are they going to do on the defensive line? We see some pieces move around, and it's just you know, strong University of Cincinnati Bearcat uh, Derek Wolf shows up, and uh, you also you know you have Calais Campbell with Brandon Williams now in the middle. I mean, it's the defensive line seems like it's kind of going to continue to be a strength. I mean, that's like old hat, but with new faces now. Yeah. And, um, you know, last year, 
Well, that area wasn't as strong as it's been. I mean, that's always kind of been a calling card of some of the best Ravens defenses. You had that beef and, and guys that, you know, that were really game disruptors up front. But they targeted that area um, in a big way this offseason. You know, they, they went out and traded for Calais Campbell. They signed Derek Wolf. They drafted uh, two uh, defensive ta- interior defensive linemen in the, within the first five rounds. They re-signed Justin Ellis, who's you know, a rotational guy. Um, you know, the the Titans lost where they just couldn't stop the run, you know, allowed rushing yard after rushing yard seemed to be the kind of the impetus behind their offseason, which was attacking their defensive front seven. And, you know, they also drafted, you know, Ohio State guy Malik Harris in the third round and their first round picks Patrick Queen. So it's almost a completely different look uh, up front for them than what we've seen in recent years. Pretty much the only, you know, major holdovers are nose tackle Brandon Williams and then you got Matt Judon on the edge. So uh, that's going to be the strength of their team. They're not deep. But they're, you know, they have some high-end talent there um, up front, and uh, the group has looked pretty strong early. And uh, you know, they want to get back to putting more pressure on the quarterback up the middle and in the interior. They they haven't had that kind of dimension uh, for a couple of years now, and I think that'll even help the guys like Judon on the edge. So, uh, you know, they they need to keep those guys healthy. But so far, so good. That's a new look group, and and it's come together nicely. Well, you you know that you've done something right when the way that other teams construct their rosters is based around stopping your offense, and, and we you know the Bengals this off season put a a significant amount of emphasis on finding guys that can tackle in space and stop the run at every single level, knowing that they anticipate Baltimore and the like, you know, even Kansas city in their own way, the way they spread you out to be able to be running this conference for a while now. And, and if you don't get guys that can run down and tackle in space at every level, uh, they're just going to get destroyed. And that's, I think that's kind of in a lot of ways, what, the Lamar era started and so I think that it's interesting how the ripple effects have come across the entire north how do you view the division I guess uh do you is it do you still see it as you know, obviously you have a closer view on Baltimore but and, and most people would probably say it's Baltimore's to lose but do you think it's uh fragile or tenuous or is, do they kind of have a stranglehold on it yeah you know I think they're the favorite um but I uh, just you know, I think the division's going to be much improved this year um, in a lot of ways. You know, I, I say this every year. Uh, well, not every year, but in recent years. At, at some point, you have to think things are going to click a little more for Cleveland, where they're going to start playing uh, in a better, in a manner more representative of the talent they have. And, you know, we all did, the, we worked to do the position rankings, you know, per division. Um, and it was amazing. Cleveland was high up there and how well they did in that. They, there's a lot of talent there. Um, they should be better coached uh, this year. So I think they're a dangerous team. I really do. But so much is going to depend on Mayfield and, uh, you know, reports out of there, this, this training camp are that he's not looked that great uh, in training camp. So we'll see about that. Um, Steelers, again, is, is Roethlisberger healthy? Their defense is the best defense in the division. They're loaded with high-end talent defensively. Um, but So it's kind of, uh, 
you know, going to be contingent on Roethlisberger staying healthy. You know if he's healthy, they're going to move the ball. Um, and, and then the Bengals are still kind of, you know... Uh, a team in, in the league. In, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're early in the process a little bit. But, uh, you know, when you were talking about tackle you know tackling and then you know i you could clearly tell i mean that linebacker group last year and we had talked about it uh was just brutal so i think that you know they love buying here in baltimore i think whole help from a leadership standpoint and uh, they got some pieces i mean the, the receivers the running back uh they don't take them back seat uh, to many teams in those categories and now you just have to see how burrow uh develops but i think there's i think this is going to be a strong division i i I, I think the Ravens should be the favorite. They've earned earned that. Um, but I think uh, I think there's going to be some teams beating each other in this division. I don't think it's going to be a 14 and two runaway for the Ravens like it was last year. It would not surprise me if the Browns and Steelers at some point are right up there in the hunt and really push the Ravens for it. It's funny you talk about uh, saying the same thing every year about the Browns. I do too, and that is, how many years in a row are we going to claim that they have just won the off season and then lose in the spring? I mean, it's the pattern is is unstoppable at this point. Maybe they, you you do think at some point it has to click, but boy, it just never does. It just it just never does, and it's you know, and there's so much turnover and new coaches. You just wonder, you know, until they get real continuity at the top, if that's not always going to be what's stopping them from getting wins uh, in the season, but who you know, it, it only takes it only takes one one or two years for that continuity to actually start. So we'll yeah, see. they still they have so they have some volatile players as we all know. Uh, so things aren't going well. Uh, you know, things are going to go downhill fast. Uh, but they're dangerous. I think everyone would at least have to agree with the level of talent they have at certain spots. They're dangerous. Do I trust them? No. Uh, and how could you at this point, honestly? Um, but this is a huge season for Mayfield because if he regresses again or doesn't progress, I mean, then you're going to have to start a- a- asking you know more questions about whether he's the guy for them. So um, you know, I-, I think uh, I think the division's in a good spot, though. I, you know, I'm excited to watch uh you know the Bengals quarterback obviously and um you know i think they're in the right place i think they brought in some talent they have some good skill position players uh but they're probably at least another offseason away from kind of mentioning them as a as a team that you know could contend for the division yeah no no doubt about that i think i think they would uh happily take a step up to the middle of, to, to third place or somewhere into the middle of the the mix as a, a stepping stone to something else but uh for now uh in, enjoy lamar uh, i look forward to seeing him it will be week five uh bengals go to baltimore on october 11th so uh all all things hopefully continue to go well as far as covid goes and uh and will be bengals and ravens then and then of course uh Baltimore coming to Cincinnati uh, on January 3rd to close out the season. Jeff, appreciate it as always. Enjoyed Lamar, and we will uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Paul. Looking forward to it. You have a great year as well. Stay healthy. All right, much thanks to Jeff for joining us, and uh, good look at the Ravens there, so kind of know where, where this division is headed. Um, and we are headed to the Growler later this week, and we've got you know, we're just now we're just counting down. Just two weeks, two weeks until the opener against the Chargers, and that's we've got cut final cuts 
coming this week. Look out for final roster projection. Uh, Jay has a deep recap of the scrimmage up. I've got the rookie report up, to, looking kind of in depth at every rookie's camp and how it went. Um, up right now on the site. Lots of stuff coming to you this week as we get ready for final cuts and season preview and everything else that's coming your way. So I hope everybody is ready for that. If you're not a subscriber, we hope you will join us. Seven-day free trial available at all the links. Uh, come take a peek. Give us a spin. We think you'll love it. Uh, anyway, thanks everybody for listening. We will talk to you next time. I'll here to Spy Subscribe.